Philadelphia, you San Jose, or DC, Los Angeles, Galaxy. Reach Pass. Colorado Rapids. Vancouver Whitecaps. Seattle Sounders. Montreal Impact. USA. York Red Bulls. Pitch Pass. Your all-access credential to the people that matter in MLS. Here's your host, Greg Roach. Oh, we got a good one lined up. And thank you so much for downloading the latest episode of Pitch Pass. PitchPass.com for the web stuff. At Pitch Pass for the Twitter stuff. It's crunch time in MLS. Some teams fighting for a playoff spot. Some teams fighting for supporter shields. Some teams... Just going through the string and getting ready for next year and looking for some optimism. We got a little of both in this episode. Later, we'll get ready for Seattle versus Los Angeles for the Supporter Shield when we talk to defender Dan Gargan of the Galaxy. But first, it hasn't been a very great year for San Jose Earthquakes, but there's a lot to look forward to with the addition of new head coach Dom Kinnear and a brand new stadium. And with the excitement level that high, let's bring in the president of San Jose Earthquakes to talk about all of the fun, exciting things that the club has going Going on in the future, in the present. Dave Cobble joins us right now. Dave, how are you, sir? Greg, how's it going today? Thanks so much for calling and uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, of course. You know, it's kind of weird, though, when I hear that I'm talking to a president, I'm assuming that I'm going to get some sort of receptionist. Please hold for the president. Then you come through. But no, I just call a number and you pick up, and now we're talking. That's just the way I roll. Very <laughs> <stressful>. <laughs> do you still do the uh, the weekly hang where you've got an open door? Anybody wants to come and hang out and yeah, talk quakes with you? Uh, you know, because I teach a class over at Stanford Business School, so you know, I I would do office hours for the students. So it gave me the idea to do office hours as president of the earthquakes. And so on Tuesday afternoons from three to five, anyone can walk in <laughs> or schedule a meeting and come in and talk about anything they want to about their career or about the team or training players or the stadium, whatever it might be. So it's not just Quake stuff. People come in and ask you about life. Yeah, yeah. It, it runs the full gamut. You know, I have had everything from someone come in to try to pitch me on a new business to people talking about how they were at the first Quakes game in 1974 to why we should trade a player. Or, I mean, just, just it, it just runs the full gamut. It's actually been an interesting way to connect with folks in the community and uh, keep an open door policy. Now, do you like have the pen and paper out and take imaginary notes for everyone, even the off the wall ideas? You are you still go doing the whole? Oh, that's very interesting. Uh, that's you know, you know what, write I that think, down. I'm pretty much engaged in whatever people are doing, but you know, obviously, if it's something that I don't think makes any sense, I'll tell them. You know, pretty straight shooter kind of guy. So, okay, so what what's um, the most off the wall uh, conversation that you've had in your your office hours? You know, I think probably the craziest stuff have been around some of the business ideas that folks have had, um, you know, different, you know, uh, different ideas on starting businesses, either soccer or non-soccer related. You know, I think those are the things that have probably been the most surprising. But I've had people try to, you know, sell me insurance and, and you know, <laughs> stuff like that. So it's been, it's been a little bit of everything. <laughs> Um, now, forgive me, a common thread throughout our conversation will be me uh, extremely envious of the Earthquakes Stadium and the uh, opening in March. Uh, I live in D.C. I'm a D.C. United fan, so I have to live vicariously through others' stadiums. And so since I'm talking to you, just know in the back of my mind, I'm always going to be going, gosh, I hate Dave when his new stadium. Gosh, I hate him in his new stadium. <laughs> well, I, I will say I think you guys have some of the best fans in Major League Soccer in the district. And um, I think it would be a great thing once you've got a stadium is built and um, so much great history and one of the most storied franchises in MLS. And so 
I too await that day because <laughs> I think it'll be a great one. So I'm not even an Earthquakes fan, and yet I probably have been to the website maybe 15 times over the course of the last month, uh, checking out the the live feed of, of the building of it. Whenever you guys post a, a new video, I check that out. I love the 3D uh, picture, so if you're looking to get season tickets, you can go to each section and see what your view looks like. I can't imagine what you are like. Do you just want to live at that construction site? Well, it feels like it. You know, I have we have weekly um, meetings with our general contractor, DevCon, on Fridays. But I am basically there every day. Either I'm given a tour, making a decision about purchasing something, solving a problem, and dealing with subcontractors. I mean, there's so many different items that come up when you're managing a project of that size. Um, and we need to make sure that it's done right because yeah. this is going to be our home. And when we move in, we have to make sure it's not only the best for the fans – but also the best for our players and all the other stakeholders. Well, it's still big picture stuff. You're putting the seats in now. You're, you've laid the grass, the, the pitches in. Uh, as we get closer and closer to opening day, how, how much into the minutia do you think you will get? Well, I mean, I've been working on this for the last four years. And so starting with the original design, of um, designing every aspect of the stadium, working with 360 architecture, you know, I feel like I pretty much know why every single thing in the stadium is the way it is, uh, whether it was a player-related amenity or a fan-related amenity or cost consideration or a code issue or whatever it might be. So I feel I have a good sense for all those little pieces. And, you know, in, in being involved in all those little pieces, you do get in the minutia because sometimes that's the, it's the small things that yeah. people do notice. And if you don't have the right uh, fixture on a light, or the right texture on a piece of wood, or the right railing, or whatever it might be, then people will notice, and it won't be the right experience for them. And so that's an important piece in terms of making a great stadium. One of the really cool things, of a number of cool things that I like about the stadium, uh, is the the luxury suites, which, unlike every stadium I've ever seen, where they're mid-level, uh, yours are actually field-level and will butt up against the, the playing surface. Now, that wasn't in the initial design, so when did you decide to do that, and how much kind of tinkering had to be done to readjust the, the, the blueprint to get that in? Well, I mean, when I first started, the, the project did not have any premium inventory at all. And, you know, I think there was like a a feeling that, you know, it, it couldn't support, soccer couldn't support that premium inventory, at least in this market. But we had had so many inquiries and friends of mine and, you know, people in the area that wanted to buy suites and wanted to buy club seats and things of that nature. So we looked at the current design and really the only place to put the, those seats that made sense was at the field level. And we, at our current stadium, Buckshaw, you know, we just retired it. Yep. We had these field seats that people loved, where you would just be right on the field, right behind the field boards, and it was such a unique experience. It was like a court seat in the NBA. So we said, hey, could we duplicate it that as a new stadium? Because especially for new fans, what an amazing way to experience soccer, to see how fast the players are, how athletic, how fast the game is transpiring. It's really a unique experience. And so that was the impetus to put both the suites and the club seats all kind of at that field level right on the action. We have three rows right at the, uh, the base that, you know, people have just snatched up. We sold those about 18 months ago. and They're completely sold out. 
A lot of people now, and I, I mentioned this on Twitter, I feel like it's an arms race in MLS to build the video, the biggest video monitor. Uh, RSL putting one in LA Galaxy. I like what the Quakes have done. They said, you know what? Who cares about the video monitor? We're putting the largest bar in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I figured people would like that even more. So, yes, we have the largest exterior bar in North America. It's over 300 linear square feet of bar space, and it's a beautiful high-end bar. Think like... You know, high-end San Francisco, New York bar or restaurant, a place where you'd want to go out, have a great night. It has the wood on the base of the bar that's from Moffat Hanger, which is right up the street here. So it's all reclaimed redwood, over a 1,000 years old, the redwood. The stone on the top of the bar is Portuguese terrazzo stone, a really unique design, um, really complements the wood and really creates a very high-end upscale feel to the entire experience. So going to the other side of the pitch, you guys are doing something which is going to be kind of unique, and I, I imagine if it goes well uh, in the Quake Stadium, it'll probably be adopted throughout the league, and that is the supporter section. You're going to have a standing room section for the supporters. Uh, what went into that, and uh, are there any uh, red flags about possible dangers of doing something like that? Well, we, we spent a lot of time kind of researching some of the other all-standers, uh, especially in Germany. They're probably the the country that has the most of those. You can't have them in the English Premier League in any of the um, FA or any of their sanctioned leagues because of the you know, tragedy at Hillsborough and yeah. things like that. So we looked and said, hey, how do we make this safe and how does this make sense? Because we think it creates a really unique fan experience and a very loud and boisterous end zone. And so what we did is we took the lower area, the first six um, rows, and we created a terrace area with safe standing, so you actually have rails between the different rows so people can't kind of, like, push up against each other. Yeah. And so that area houses about 700 supporters. They are right on the action. I mean, they are right behind the goal. When the visiting goalie is on that side, he is not going to be a happy camper. And so that's going to create a great home field advantage. And then what we did is we took the area above. We have about 800 seats above that, um, right behind and that's also an area for supporters in the main grandstand. So we have about 1,500 in, like, the main middle area of our end zone for our supporters. And so we can have kind of um, a Timbers Army-type experience in that one end zone similar to what they have at Providence Park. And I'm glad you you kind of answered a question I was going to – because when I was on that 3D thing, I looked at the supporter section. And you say close. Like, I almost feel like the guys in the front row and the girls in the front row for the supporter sections are going to be able to touch the back of the net. They're that, so they're literally that close. Yes, they are. It's wow. the closest I've ever seen. There's a couple smaller grounds I've been to in England. I've been to like um, where AFC Wimbledon plays. Yeah. They have That's what actually made, gave me the idea because it was so close. I'm like, and it was so cool. We sat there, my general manager, John Doyle, and I, we were in the first row. And we we're like, this is so close. I've never seen anything like this. Such a bandbox. And uh, we wanted to duplicate that feeling. And that's exactly what we've done. And I think our fans and our supporters groups, I mean, I, I toured the stadium with the supporters groups, with the Ultras, with the Casbah, with the Fault Line. And they have been thrilled with the setup. And I think what they're seeing is a, a huge increase in their numbers because it's such a great environment to cheer on the team. So let's talk about the the, the on-field things. It, it hasn't been the greatest season, but uh, last week you made the announcement, which I'm sure has got a lot of people uh, in the area excited, and that is uh, the return of Dom Kinnear. When did that idea first get kicked around? Who, who kicked it around, and what did you think the likelihood of that happening was when that first idea was broached? Well, it was originally kicked around last year because when uh, – um, 
Frank, Yallop, and the Quakes parted ways, you know, we had always, you know, knew that Dominic Kinnear had an interest in coming home to San Jose. He's from here. Um, he's obviously a fantastic coach. He's coached the Earthquakes before. He won a supporter shield with us and um, really, you know, has, has a great storied history here in the Bay Area. And But at that time, the challenge was is that Houston would not even allow us to talk to him at that time. And so, and, and you know, Mark Watson had a very good second half of the season in uh, uh, the previous season. And so those all those things came together, you know, kind of didn't make that available or that did not come to pass. And so for this year, when we got to a situation where we felt that we needed to make a change and we had started talking to different folks, um, you know, obviously Dominic Kinnear was the first guy on our list. And when Houston gave us permission to talk to him, um, we really wanted to make sure that we could make a very strong bid and a strong run to bring him back to San Jose, which is what we did. Has he given you, I'm sure he has, but can you share with us some of his ideas uh, for ways to improve the team next year? What sort of things he might be wanting to implement that aren't in place now? Well, I think the number one thing that I like about Dominic is that he's a fighter and he evokes the spirit of San Jose and the type of club that we are and our, our um are really that kind of never-say-die attitude, I think, what carried us, like, in 2012 and some of our successful seasons in the past. And I feel that the team this year lacked that and didn't have the fight that, that normally we did, especially at home. And I think that intensity that he's going to be able to bring um, and the type of players that are attracted to that I think will create a really great team that fans want to watch. And I think that is the most important piece of the puzzle to get that cultural piece right, because everything else follows from that. And so that's that's one reason why I'm so excited and optimistic about uh, his coming tenure. So as you wind down this season, uh, disappointment, obviously, what were some of the positives that you're going to take away from this season, players, uh, things that are happening, not including the stadium, that you can then take into the offseason and get kind of hopeful and excited about next year? Well, one big thing has been the emergence of Tommy Thompson, our mm-hmm. homegrown um, player. You know, I think Tommy, you know, he's only 19 years old. He started in our academy two or three years ago uh, from Granite Bay up in Sacramento. Um, just been a tremendous player, a player who is very gifted technically on the ball, who is great in the clubhouse, and who's, who I think can blossom into a great player here in MLS or even internationally. And so to see him emerge and grow as a player and to see you know him interact with players like Chris Wondolowski um, has really been great. So I think – the fans have been excited about that. I've been excited about that. And so to see a young player like that emerge and establish himself as a key part of the club uh, is a great thing. I think the other thing is uh, Perez Garcia, who we picked up as a designated player um, yeah. in August and who unfortunately got injured pretty early in his tenure. I think he has all the markings to be a, really a substantial impact player in the league um, in a creative role. Um, in the midfield or as a second forward, that is also a position that is just very coveted um, and actually can play off very, very well with Chris Wondolowski, our star striker. So I think those things are very exciting to see. Um, and I think we have a lot of core players, whether it's Wanda or Bernardes, who, you know, a lot of them played in the World Cup. And I think that was a challenge this year to kind of balance both those things. And I think going into next year where we can focus just on kind of the club performance I think that's a that's a boon to us. So before I let you go, Dave, uh, I will ask you to break some news. Uh, can you can you confirm the Avaya Stadium will be the name of the new Earthquake Stadium? 
like I said uh, multiple <laughs> times today, you know, we, we have not finalized our naming rights for the new stadium. We've talked to a bunch of different companies. We're still talking to a bunch of different companies. And, you know, when we get to the point, we're ready to announce that we will. That was nice tap dancing, Dave. Very well done. Very thank well you. done. <laughs> Dave, thank you very much for taking some time. I appreciate it. And uh, best of luck. Very jealous. And I uh, hope to get out there to see your new stadium next year. Awesome. Thanks so much. You have a great day. I would apologize to you for talking too much stadium, but seriously, I don't care who you are a fan of in MLS. You probably have some sort of stadium experience that is far superior than mine. So I need to live vicariously through everyone's stadium experiences. And that's not a lie. I I think I've been to the Earthquakes website more than Earthquakes fans the last few weeks. And to take it one step further, uh, I've been going to the Orlando City website a lot as well. Yeah, I, I have stadium envy. And it's a problem. At Quakes Prez, that's P-R-E-Z, if you want to follow Dave on Twitter. Uh, look, we hear about the Merritt Polsons. We hear about the Rob Hindmans a lot. Uh, David Cavill is easily up there with the most interactive and approachable front office executives that you're going to find in MLS, as evidenced by the fact that he took this dopey podcast phone call. Quakes winding down a disappointing season, but there is a lot of action on the pitch this year. And in this last weekend of the season, including probably the biggest match of the weekend. So big, it gets on the regular NBC, not the SN, the NBC. 2.30 Saturday, Seattle versus Los Angeles at CenturyLink Stadium. Uh, Winner takes the supporter shield. It's going to be a huge match. And to get us ready for that, we bring back a guy we had on earlier in the year. He has uh, continued his excellent season for the Galaxy. He's a defender for the club. He is Dan Gargan, and he rejoins us now on the show. Dan, how have you been, man? Good to have you on again. Well, wait, do, do you remember being on the show earlier this year? Of course, man. I remember. <laughs> it's good to speak with you again. And uh, how have you been? How are things going? Pretty solid. Pretty yeah. Pretty solid. Just, uh... Getting ready for a big matchup. It is. It is a big match. Uh, I don't know. It maybe it, it'll equal the big news today that that you and I, I'm sure, are both celebrating, and that is uh, the Phillies signing Grady Sizemore to a one year deal. That's that's obviously just as exciting, right? <laughs> just equally as exciting. <laughs> I've been all over that. You know, and and coming off the signing of Jerome Williams yesterday, I mean, I feel like the pieces are now in place for a championship season. They're getting ready. You know, they're clearly building. <laughs> building the team that the fans are clamoring for, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, let, let's just say it's good that you have other things to distract you from that right now. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Um, so, so, uh, I gotta. I have to ask you, and I know we, we touched on this uh, on our first conversation over the summer, um, and that is your, your graphic design. But I actually saw um, the poster that you made for the, uh, the Galaxy Timbers match. It's fantastic, man. Oh, thank you. It's so much so that I didn't like the fact that whenever I saw it referred to, they were like, oh, it was designed by Defender Dan Gargan, who is an amateur graphic designer. I'm looking at him like, that's a pro job right there. Uh, no, I don't know about that. I'm I'm pretty amateur in my, in my graphic design, but I, I do really enjoy it. Um, it's something that... It's just outside the game. You know, it's not, it's not soccer and it's not every day, so it, it's fun to... It's fun to learn. I'm still learning a lot, which is which is frustrating, but also uh, it's pretty rewarding. How long does something like that take you? Um, all combined. Like for like, all right. So, how long do you think it takes you to put an idea together, and then once you start actual work with it, how long does that take? So, those two pieces. Yeah, you know, it, those all all projects really 
kind of are their own individual beast. You know, the the creativity and, and the idea for things, they come and go, you know, and they're not always the greatest idea. Sometimes you're, you're, you feel like you've, you've struck lightning and then other times it's like, uh, well, this could be great. And then you're like, eh, I don't know. And, and you kind of battle in your own head. So that, that whole process takes, takes a while before you can finally settle on an idea. And then for me, it's kind of starts one place and usually meanders around to a lot of different places before I get to what my final product is. Um, so it, it's, uh, th- those, those processes can take a while. That one, that one, I didn't really have too much time to, to dwell on that, that idea. So that was from start to finish, probably about three weeks from when I got the okay to do the, to do the project. And, and then to when it was, it was finally finished. Do but they, that's not like, that's not like three weeks of, you know, head down working on it every day. That's just kind of how the process goes. Do they, does, I don't know who set this up. I'm assuming the club. Do they come to you and say, Hey, I know you do some stuff. Uh, would you like to design this poster? Or did you go to them and say, I got an idea for this Portland match. Uh, you want to see some sketches? You no, know, well, you know, they actually, um, they had been doing the posters uh, for a few a few weeks before. Yeah, I I got the Portland one, um, and they're all and great, by the way. Like I love I love the Galaxy's uh, whole presentation with that stuff. It's fantastic. I thought it was a really really cool idea and a really great presentation with all the artists and and the ones before me um, were were inspiring. So I, I figured, you know what, if if the Galaxy would allow it, I, I would love to be involved in it. Um, and I just asked for for a match that hadn't been assigned to an artist, and if they'd be willing to allow me to do that. And uh, and I got the Portland one. It was just you know one of the ones that hadn't been hadn't been assigned yet, so it wasn't one that I had picked out in particular. Um, just one that that kind of worked for the the timing and schedule. Do uh, do you think they kind of rolled their eyes a little bit when you first ask? Oh boy, so, uh, <laughs> he, the guy the guy on the team can draw a little bit, so I guess he's gonna make something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. I, it's uh, it's something that I've done some some other art projects in the past for for clubs that I've played with. Um, I donated a couple paintings to uh, the Chicago Fire Foundation, which were auctioned off and um, and had some pretty good success. So it was, uh, you know, I'm not a complete dark horse. In this <laughs> You've got a portfolio. Um, I've got some sort. I got a presentation I can do. <laughs> exactly um but you know I, i'm also like i said before i, I am i am an amateur I, i'm definitely not a professional in, in that arena so um i'm sure there was a, some slight trepidation on their part well i mean I, i'm a huge pearl Jam fan and they for years uh they they used only like the ames brothers and uh yeah. Klassen. uh they used them the both of those exclusively and i feel like in the last two years they've really opened it up to a lot of different type of artists so like i really love that style of poster and it just makes it a lot cooler and it's something that you want to get framed and put on a wall rather than like a concert picture that you would do so i i mean i just love the whole concept of these posters and if i'm you and tell me if i'm wrong you you could do that as something down the road for for post playing career yeah, maybe. I don't know for me how much uh, work there is out there um, as, as a, a graphic designer, but that's also not something that I've really explored to yeah. this point. You know, I'm still kind of 
try to focus on this whole soccer thing and yeah. make that, that job work first and foremost. <laughs> um, but it's something that I have enjoyed, and, and it's it's a little side project and a, a side hobby that, that I have fun with. And, and it's been nice and, and really, really cool to, to get involved with, with clubs um, that I've played with. It's, you know, and this project with the Galaxy is no different. It was, you know, like you had said, the, the posters are really cool and, and add a different layer to to the game day experience and i think that being involved in that um was was a fun project to to be a part of well as we start looking ahead to to saturday uh does this does this drawing to does going into a room and and kind of sketching stuff out does that help take the edge off on a week like this where there's so much pressure and it's so intense yeah i think it's anytime you can have something to to take your mind away from from the game it's good to get into it um now whether that's going home and and cooking dinner for your family or or getting into a room and, and listening to some music and drawing and painting a little bit you know whatever you whatever your kind of getaway is i think i think it's good to have that and just to have an outlet away from being at the stub up center and and being in meetings and talking soccer and listening to soccer and thinking about soccer and you know, I think you need that kind of refresher to allow yourself to come back and be refocused. And I, you know, I'm a firm believer that you need that in anything in life, you know, whether that's friendships or work or play or, or any of that stuff. I think that you have to be able to step away from it, um, at least for, for a few minutes or a couple of days or, or whatever, whatever your timeline is. But to be able to do that, to, to come back and be 100 percent is is very important. Now, I know the question could probably be asked the same way the next few weeks or the next six weeks, but you've been around the block a few times. Um, this isn't your first rodeo, but having said that, uh, 60,000 people, supporter shield on the line, win or go home. Is, at this point, is this the biggest match of your career? Um, well, I know it's, it's a strong statement. I know it's a very strong statement, especially it's not even playoffs yet. And that's why I said I feel like every week we could ask that question again. But I just feel like the stakes, this is as high as the stakes can get for MLS regular season. Yeah. You know, I played in a similar game, actually, uh, in Seattle with the Chicago Fire for the Open Cup final, uh, which we ended up losing. But it was in big in front of a big crowd yeah. for a, a big prize and um, and very similar stakes. So. I think that this this game is is certainly a big game. Um, we're going into it wanting to win, and that hasn't changed from from day one. So, um, you know, it, it is a big game, and and we're treating it as such. You know, it, it's a it's a great it's a great prize that that we could win, but it's also a great dress rehearsal for yeah. when the playoffs start and the MLS Cup is is on the line. So. I, I didn't know that you you actually did a little trial run for this week uh, in the past. So, it, mm-hmm. and a lot of the the non World Cup guys probably have not been in an atmosphere like this before. Um, do you feel like that prepared you for what you can expect come Saturday? You know, there are I would say few guys on our uh, on our team that that haven't been involved in really big time games. So. Um, you know, I think that there's plenty of experience on our roster and in our 11, and I don't think that going to Seattle is really going to phase anybody. 
after the 2-2 draw at home, uh, which disappointing, but didn't wasn't the end-all, be-all, uh, what does Bruce say to you in the locker room? And then how long does it take for, for you and then the rest of the team to kind of put that behind you and start focusing on the next match? Yeah, Bruce was, was good about it. He made a good point. He said, um, you know, as players, as, as coaches, as a team, if, if we're not excited for a championship to come down to the last game of the season uh, that we need to win, then we're in the wrong business. And he's exactly right. You know, this is a, this is a big chance for us to go out and, and prove to each other that, you know, we're, we're ready for this challenge that, that the supporter shield is, and also that, that the playoffs, which are right behind it are, are going to bring. And I think that the Saturday night was a, a bit of a disappointment for us uh, to not, to not get a win, um, one, two, to to give up a couple goals that we felt like were preventable, um, but they're they're good learning lessons, and and it it's you know it's not to be all end all. So you know we can we can take that, look at it, talk about it, analyze it, and move on and get ready, which you know which we've done. I I keep trying to think to myself, who has the advantage when you do this kind of home and home thing in in any situation, especially in this one, though? Um, Is it is it the offense or the attackers who kind of get a little heads up as to what you guys are wanting to try to do to to shut down? Or is it defenders who maybe see a couple of tricks in the bag that they can now file away for next week when they may see the see the same trick again? Yeah, I think it's I think it, it can go either way. I think that if you're a student of the game and if you're an intelligent player, I think that, you know, you're going to analyze things and you have a 90 minute dress rehearsal to, to see what, you know, guys can do. And, and the interesting thing about it is that you, there's not much time in between. So their game is not going to evolve that much from Saturday to, to Saturday. And their, their playing style is, is really not going to be that much different than uh, we feel like what we saw this past weekend in LA. So, um, you know, uh, like you said, we, we analyze things and, and we, we try and look at, look at trends and, and things that they like to do and, and how we were one successful in stopping them on Saturday and also unsuccessful and, and ways that they, they were able to beat us. And, and, you know, the, the game of soccer, it's such a beautiful thing because it's so, it's a fluid game and, you know, it's not like the NFL or where, where you're drawing up plays and, and you can look at, really black and white tendencies these are these are guys that that have the ball at their feet and can really make decisions to do whatever they want to do so when you're in the moment you need to defend guys the the way that you know how and that's not from this past saturday that's from the way that you learn the game so i think that i think that we feel like we're in a good position to have picked up a couple things from this past weekend but we also feel confident in the team that we have and that's to go out and, and win on saturday a lot hasn't been made of it, but it has been kind of an underlying, maybe a, a tertiary storyline for the match on Saturday, and that is the start time, uh, 11.30 a.m. Pacific, uh, but you're on the big NBC, uh, 2.30 for the East Coasters. Uh, does that start time matter at all to you guys? Yeah, we've played a couple a couple games this year at really kind of odd start times uh, for us. I mean, for, for a professional match to start before yeah. noon is – is not uh, not normal. That's for sure. Um, but 
it is what it is. You know, both teams have to wake up and, and go through a, a different preparation and, and get ready for the game. It's not like we're the only ones that are doing it and they, they can kind of sleep in and, and do their normal routine and play at 1145. That, that's not happening for them either. So it's, um, it's, but it's exciting, you know, especially these games that, that mean so much. It doesn't really matter what time they start because you're so amped up and you're so excited and ready to go that, that you know, you, the sleep is, is probably minimal the night before. And, and as soon as you get to breakfast, you're, you're almost ready to throw your headphones in and get on the bus to get to the stadium. So I, I don't think that that's going to play a huge part in the game. And I know the fam probably has MLS direct kick or their, their work. They'll, they'll go and find your matches back home. Um, but it's got to be cool to, to, for family and friends that you, who are reaching out and you just say, yeah, just turn on NBC. No, no, no. Just NBC. I know you have the channel. You can watch this one. <laughs> right. Right. That is cool. You know, my, uh, my wife's grandmother is a is a huge sports fan and has really adopted soccer as as one of her favorites. Um, and she's she doesn't have direct kicks, so when we're on national broadcast, she gets pretty excited. So uh, she's already got the the NBC game penciled in from Perfect. I think from like last May. So she's <laughs> she's thrilled. Perfect. And and the other thing is, it doesn't start at ten thirty, so she can she doesn't have to stay up late to watch it. Yeah, exactly. Everybody can watch it. It's it's on it's on a great time slot for no matter what part of the country you're in. Did you see that goal today in Champions League? I did not. No, which one? Oh, with uh, the 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 Mela goal. The oh gosh, yeah, I did. I okay, did right, you saw the vine of it, obviously. <laughs> you had to see the vine. Yeah. I saw the vine. Yep. What do you do as a defender at that point? You just kind of just uh, just head back and and get ready for the restart. Uh, you call the guy a couple names that you can't say on air and you walk back and, and pull the ball out of your net and, and get going again, most likely kick him and you get an opportunity the next time down the field. Why do you call them the names for showboat for the showboat aspect of it? You know, I think that everybody on the field would probably call him the same name, whether you're on defense <laughs> or you're on his team. So I don't really think that matters. That's what I, f- I feel like it's one of those things where, okay, everybody is, is melting down on the internet, but your your team is like, dude, what, what? Just put it in the back of the net. And as you said, the guys on the other team are like, dude, stop being a hot dog. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, it, it, I mean, it, it makes for some spectacular highlights. So you, you have to give some credit to the guy yes. for one, for having the, the cojones to, to try it. And for two, pulling it off. Yes. So, you know, that, that makes for a spectacular play, but at the same time, I think everybody involved uh, would prefer him to strike the ball and stick it in the same <laughs> spot the, the way that you would expect him to. Uh, speaking of teammates, you have been uh, a part of a little little uh, farewell tour the last few weeks uh, with Landon mm-hmm. Donovan. What uh, what gift has he received that you've been like, oh, dude, that's, that is a gift that I would like you to re-gift to me? <laughs> I'd be happy with any of the gifts. Come on, even the, even the Houston Dynamo cowboy hat, you'd want that? <laughs> no, I'd send that one back. You're right. <laughs> um, I, you know what I, I thought was really cool uh, was the the seat from RFK that DC United gave him. Um, growing up on the East Coast and then playing at Georgetown, I went and, 
and watched a lot of DC United games and, and spent a lot of time in RFK. And that's, you know, it's one of those classic stadiums. And I think that that, that was, that struck home with me. I thought that was a really, really cool gift, uh, even though it's probably meaningless to DC United <laughs> because they have 70,000 of them. Exactly, around, exactly but, was going to be my point, Dan. Yeah, I'm living in well, DC. It's not like they don't have the extra seats that they could just rip one out and give it to Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> I know they got plenty of them, but I still think it's, it's, it's pretty cool. I, I I'd stick one in my garden whenever I get a garden. So, <laughs> uh, well, Dan, best of luck for the for the for Saturday throughout the rest of the playoffs. Um, and thank you. You you are our only two time guest this season. So I appreciate you giving Pitch Pass two days of your time. Thank you, Matt. Wow, no problem, man. Thanks for having me. I've I've enjoyed it. You got a good thing going on here. show information, go to pitchpass.com.